Nireal, welcome. Thanks so much. Great to be here, Nick. Now, I, I, so I think of you as one of the few kind of sane voices out there when it comes to the topic of kids and screen time. So let me ask you, what are, what are some kind of misconceptions you see or hear out there in, in this space? Because I think it's just, it's so, it seems so fraught. Oh, where do we start? <laughs> I think, you know, I think where we start is uh, with history, is a bit of perspective that every successive generation believes that the kids are crazy, right? Uh, that uh, the kids these days, they, uh, uh, they're on their newfangled devices and their brains are turning to mush and, uh, you know, God help us, they're all going crazy. And I mean, we literally see this from uh, from the time of the ancient Greek philosophers, right? <laughs> like, people, every generation <laughs> thinks the kids are crazy. And in fact, you know, what's interesting is despite the fact that we think that the kids are getting worse and worse, the kids are doing better and better with every generation. You know, it's funny, I, I, um, I saw this list. Common Sense Media, who is this, uh, this organization that uh, makes recommendations based on, uh, you know, what kind of movies and content and games are good for kids. One of the movies, or they have this list of 100 movies that you should watch with your kids. And one of the movies on the list was called American Graffiti. Have you ever seen American Graffiti? It's like I from have. Like, no, like Harrison Ford early. Yeah, yeah Har- exactly. Harrison Ford, uh, uh, um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, it's, it's, it's the... It, Ron Howard. It's the 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 movie that Happy Days was based on. Remember the television show Happy Days, right? Like yeah, it's it's sure. supposed to be about the good old days when you know when when the kids you know played uh, nicely together. And I remember watching this movie with my daughter for the first time, and like having to cover her eyes because <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> like what kids did back then, and this was portrayed as the good old days. You know, it's full of drunk driving and drag racing and sexual harassment like the entire movie is yeah, that. right <laughs> and these are considered like back in the day when you know oh my childhood not like today when kids it turns out statistically are safer than ever if you look across the board uh drunk driving record lows drug use with the exception of cannabis record lows truancy record lows murders record lows uh all the bad stuff that kids used to do are at record lows and so something must be going all right if if the kids are safer than ever. Now I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a, a a blind optimist here. There certainly are some problems, especially those facilitated by tech. And one thing that we've seen is that suicide rates have been going up, and the the rate of self-reported uh, depressive symptoms is going up. But it turns out if you if you dig deeper into the data, there's there's some really interesting things going on there. That that this phenomenon that. Some tech critics point to saying, oh, it's because of the technology. You know, look, suicide rates started going up uh, around the same time that kids started getting, uh, you know, phones. Uh, it, it turns out there's a lot more there. One, they're up from historic lows that actually the suicide rate used to be actually much higher in the 1990s. Uh, uh, furthermore, the suicide rates are not going up everywhere. Uh, you would think, you know, technology is everywhere. Kids use uh, Instagram and TikTok everywhere, but we don't see suicide rates rising everywhere. They're only rising uh, in in not only in the United States, they're rising in specific parts of the United States in in uh, very uh, rural areas, right? That's where suicide rates are increasing, which, by the way, are also correlated with areas where uh, guns per capita have been increasing since 2008, Right, I don't think that's a coincidence. So there's a lot more going on there that uh, that 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 if you bother to actually look at the data and not just parrot the same media narrative that people want to hear. I mean, this is what we have to start with: that 
parents are desperate for something to blame their kids' behavior on. I mean, I, I'm a dad, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and there are so many myths that we as parents slop up. We just love them. I'll give you one of my favorites, uh, or, or, or maybe one of my least favorites, which is the myth of the sugar high. Doesn't every parent know, we all know, that if you give a kid sugar, they go crazy, right? We all know, they become hyper sure, and- obviously. Obvious, right? <laughs> No, it's not true. <laughs> it is a complete <laughs> myth. You don't believe me? Google it. Type in the sugar high myth and you will see that studies show that nothing happens to kids uh, in terms of creating hyperactivity uh, by, by eating sugar. The only people that are affected when kids eat sugar are parents. Studies have found that when parents are told that their kids have been given sugar, even when they did not receive sugar, they act crazy. They uh, dote on their kids. They rate their kids as being more hyperactive, but their kids actually are not behaving any differently because they weren't even given the sugar. <laughs> so this is a, a very well debunked myth. But we as parents are constantly looking for something to explain our kids' behavior. And of course, the only rationale is 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 not some exogenous factor. It's the fact that these are sentient human beings. Yeah, your kids make decisions you wouldn't like because they're their own people. <laughs> they make their own decisions. But of course, as parents, we want to think that we, you know, we create these perfect angels and whenever they don't act the way we want them to act, well, there must be something doing that. It's the television. It's the Facebook. It's the, the media. It's the, you know, the radio. I mean, all these and comic books, you know, it's amazing. If you listen to what people said about comic books back in the 1950s and 60s, it is literally verbatim, word for word, what people say today uh, about how social media is melting kids' brains and video games are destroying a generation. It's it's literally word for word the same. So I would argue, I'm not saying that that this is perfect, that there aren't risks. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that we should let our kids spend their entire day on these devices. I'm saying that there's nuance, first and foremost, that there's a lot more to this than meets the eye, that we, if we just let the, the media tell us and, uh, and scare us into this gloom and gloom, doom and gloom scenario, we miss a lot. Uh, we, we scare our kids as opposed to educating them and teaching them how to deal with this technology in a way that serves them as opposed to hurts them. Um, and that we can truly get the best out of these tools without letting them get the best of us if we teach them how to become indistractable. And the good news is this is a teachable skill. That in fact, I think that this is the most essential skill we have to teach our children is how to control their attention so that they can choose their life. Sometimes I think that the best thing we as a society could do is mandate that everyone takes a class in high school called correlation does not equal causation. <laughs> <laughs> so Amen many of these problems, right? Oh, Go back goodness. to yeah, to that, to that, um, that kind of understandable error uh, in thinking. This stuff is kind of played up by the media. But okay, so let's let's dive in here a little bit deeper. So let's Given that most kids, um, it, the data seem to show, are not um, being kind of dramatically affected by access to technology and social media, um, but for those for those who are, let's say kids who do tend to spend an inordinate amount of time um, with their technology on, you know, in front of screens, that sort of thing. Um, I'm curious about what what we know there. Um, so so one one way I've heard this um, sort of framed up is that it the problem with with you know, kids and technology or even screen time, it's not so much that it's a problem of opportunity cost. It's not that the screen is literally melting their brain. It's that if you're spending four hours a day 
in front of screens, that's three or four hours that you're not spending socializing with other kids or getting exercise and playing outside. Or is is that a, f- a fairly true? Is that a good way of kind of framing things up? Or is there is there something in more extreme cases where the the, the technology itself has a direct negative effect on kids' well being? So I would say any form of media needs to be moderated by a parent. Uh, I, I there you know, all content that kids consume needs to be first of all age appropriate. Uh, uh, you know we think books. Oh, books are such a great technology, right? Books are wonderful. We want our kids to read. Let me tell you something. I would not let my 13 year old daughter walk into a library and just read any book. There are lots of books that a 13 year old is not ready for. So I'm going to moderate what co- what she consumes <laughs> to make sure that she only gets access to content that that the, that she's psychologically ready for. Uh, and the same goes certainly for television, certainly goes for the internet. So that's the first thing is to make sure that content is age appropriate. Then the next question is, is how much of that content we can consume? Uh, and studies find that three hours or less of extracurricular screen time has no deleterious effects. In fact, there's like a J curve that if kids get too little screen time, that actually shows some deleterious effects. And then, of course, in the extremes, if they have too much, that has some bad effects as well. So three hours or less, uh, as long as it's age appropriate, above the age of two, seems to be totally fine. Uh, and then the next question is, of course, what are they consuming, right? Not only how much are they consuming, but what are they consuming? You, you can't tell me that uh, uh, an hour uh, or two conversing with uh, grandma and grandpa over Skype is the same as, you know, <laughs> mindlessly consuming television. Uh, that, that there's no way it, it, there's some behaviors that clearly have difference. And so that's why screen time is, is a meaningless metric. The other factor that I think is not often discussed is who is doing the watching, who is doing the interactive, you know, they're interacting. Some kids, um, are better or uh, less prepared for interacting with certain content online. So it really matters what kind of kid you're, you're dealing with. I mean, if certainly if a, a kid has some kind of underlying disorders or uh, a shaky home life situation, is unable to uh, deal with impulse control, then certain kids need certain uh, 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 precautions, I would say. And so, so this basically comes down to, you know, why I think screen time is such a pointless metric. It, it's not just about, you know, how much time spent on the screen. It's who is, 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 who is online, what they are doing online, how much they are doing it online. And then I think one final thing is what would they be doing instead of being online? Mm. This goes back to some of those statistics we were talking about earlier. You know, if you wanted to invent a device to keep kids off the streets, off the roads and safe at home, maybe video games would not be such a terrible idea <laughs> because again, you know, we only think about the downside, but think about all the, the kids' lives that are saved by the fact that they are not out there doing the crazy, stupid, dangerous stuff that past generations did, like the dunk, drunk driving, like the drug use, like the teen pregnancy, like the truancy, all the stuff that past generations used to do. Again, record lows. This Remember, this generation of kids this was supposed to be the generation of super predators. Remember that term? That was a term <laughs> point because predator. we saw that this baby boom was going to create this generation of kids that were going to terrorize the country. And of course, that never came to be. Uh, there are prisons, youth juvenile detention centers across the country, empty, empty, because the crime that was supposed to happen that everybody predicted did not occur. Now, I'm not saying that, that technology is the only reason, but it's certainly a factor Right when kids are at home playing World of Warcraft or Fortnite or whatever they're playing at home, they're not out causing trouble. 
And so I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's all they should be doing. I'm not saying it's the solution to everything, but there is a consideration of, wait a minute, technology doesn't live in a vacuum, right? If you tell a kid, hey, uh, I know that there's COVID and I know that there's, there's uh, we're, we're, uh, you know, we should stay at home so that we don't infect people. Uh, I know that you could get into all kinds of trouble outside, but I don't want you to play video games anymore. Well, what the heck do you want them to do with their time? Like, <laughs> what's a safe way for them to spend their time? So for many people, uh, you know, it is a, a, a safer alternative, especially right now with, with COVID. There is a good case to be made that socializing with your friends through technology. I mean, Fortnite is not a video game. It's a social. It's a way for kids to connect socially. Roblox, same way. It's a way for kids to interact. Uh, so I think in moderation, the right kids in the right amounts, I think that these things can not only be, uh, not only are they not harmful, they can actually be actively helpful. Unless, as you said very astutely, we are not considering the opportunity cost. So I believe that what's happening in terms of, of if you dig deeper into the rates of increased um, rates of depression and even suicide, what's happening is it's not the technology per se that's causing that. It's what technology is coming at the cost of. And the cost of this technology is is one thing that I think has the greatest effect on mental health, and that is sleep. Sleep. That when kids are losing time, that they otherwise should be asleep. And we know that, you know, that 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 sleep is incredibly important. I'm sure you've seen the research, everybody's seen the research, sure. that for for all people, but especially children with with growing brains, they need time for rest. They need that time to to recharge their brains. And if they are up watching TV or playing games or whatever the case might be, they're not getting the rest they need. And so that's absolutely critical. But again, if used in moderation, the right content for the right person uh, and a right balance, I think it can be a fantastic tool that we shouldn't scare ourselves to death and guilt uh, our kids uh, to not use, but rather teach them how to use it correctly. But Nir, it's such a less compelling villain than technology and social media. <laughs> it's so true. But we can't scapegoat sleep, you know? We gotta <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like what I just said, it's it's nuance. Like I'm not pro-tech, I'm not anti-tech, I'm pro-nuance. But of course, the media and by by what's interesting, it's not a coincidence that it's 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 big media, right? It's the New York Times, it's CNN, it's the Atlantic, it's people who want to control the narrative and don't want other voices out there challenging their authority. These are the people who you hear this message of social media is terrible, social media is terrible all day long uh, because that's competition. <laughs> How do you think these people make money? They make money the same way. They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. And I say, screw them all right? Like we don't have to have a loyalty to any of them. We should be able to, I want access to these tools. We're not, we're not, we're not going to go back to a mythical time before these things existed. Like we, I want these tools to exist in the world, but we have to figure out how to use them responsibly. Yeah. Well said. The, another thing that I've, I've seen you write about before that I think is really important. I'd, I'd like to you to kind of unpack a little bit is the idea that even for, you know, for kids who do spend um, an unhealthy amount of time um, on social media or, or on their phones or, or whatnot, that's it. We tend to get the causality wrong. Like mm -hmm. we assume spending a lot of time is, is leading to problems, which, which may be the case to some extent, like, like you said. Um, but it could also be that spending a lot of time on technology is actually a symptom of a more underlying problem. 
That's right. right. So that so talk a little bit about that and like what you've seen in in your experience. Look, kind of flipping the causality like that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So so one thing that we need to acknowledge is that for many kids, uh, technology is a godsend. I mean, we, we know that general rates of suicide for some kids in some parts of the country, again, rural parts of the country. Uh, have gone up. But we also know that in other communities, uh, uh, suicide rates have gone down. For example, for LGBTQ youth, suicide rates are at record lows. Uh, why? Well, for the first time, if, if, if what the internet allows us to do is for disparate groups to connect together. So if you were stuck in some town where, you know, very conservative and you had nobody else who was going through this pro- this uh, 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 period of discovery and you, you don't have anybody else to connect with and you're confused about your sexuality and your identity, well, thank goodness the, the internet gives you a place to connect with other people who are going through similar things. So in that respect, it's it's been a, a godsend to many, many people, uh, especially especially at-risk youth. Um, the other thing I think to, that, that you're alluding to, I think it's very important to think about is for the the children who are overusing, the ones that are spending way more than the three hours a day, we need to ask ourselves what's going on, right? What's the root cause of the problem? Not just the proximate cause, but the root cause. And by the way, this applies to all of us, not just children. When we find ourselves abusing something, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, we have to ask ourselves what's going on. What's the deeper uh, uh, reason for these behaviors that harm us? us? You know, Because most people have a, a circuit breaker that goes off and says, oh, okay, that's too much of something. Let me dial it back. But some folks can't stop, right? They have that, that, that unhealthy tendency where it leads to bad habits and sometimes all-out addictions. So what we need to do is to start by asking ourselves, what's going on here? And so what we find is endemic to folks uh, who overuse a technology, be they children or adults, is that they lack what we call psychological nutrients. Psychological nutrients, it's a term I came up with because uh, we know we have these physiological nutrients. We have the macronutrients of protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Everybody knows those are the three macronutrients. And we have three psychological nutrients as well. And this comes out of the work of two researchers by the name of Desi and Ryan. It's the most widely accepted theory of human motivation and flourishing. Every psychologist on the face of the earth has heard of it. It's called self-determination theory. And self-determination theory says that all of us, in order to thrive, in order to stay motivated, in order for us to to have a, a sense of well-being, we need three things, just like those physiological nutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. We need for our psychological health, we need mastery, uh, autonomy, and relatedness, right? We need these three factors, mastery, autonomy, and relatedness. And so if you think about kids' lives in particular, they are very deficient, many of them, in these three psychological nutrients. So mastery, the sense of competency that comes from uh, doing something well, achieving something. Well, one thing that we never hear about in the media uh, when we talk back to correlation is not causation, you know, they show these graphs that, oh, hey, mel- mental health illness, you know, uh, uh, symptoms went up uh, along with the advent of, of smartphones. What they don't tell you is that 2008 was also the year of the common core curriculum of uh, teaching towards the test where, you know, some in some school districts, kids starting in first grade are tested on standardized tests three, four, five times a year. Well, what does that do to my sense of competency and, and, and mastery if I'm told from a very young age, you can't cut it, right? You're not conforming. You're not achieving. Well, that begins to send a message to some kids, not all kids. It's a minority of kids that they are not competent. And here comes a technology like, you know, Fortnite or Roblox. Hey, here you feel eminently competent. You get that sense of mastery. 
Okay, so that's why, why they're looking for what they can't get offline, they're getting it online. Take autonomy. We know that a sense of autonomy, uh, personal freedom, volition, this is absolutely essential to our psychological well-being for adults and children. A tragedy that we see today in America in particular is that this is the most bossed around generation in history, that the work of Peter Gray has shown that the average child today has twice as many restrictions placed upon them uh, as, as an adult. They have uh, as much restrictions as a full-time military professional. They are bossed around. They are told what to do as much as someone in the military. There's only two places uh, where you can tell somebody what to do, where to go, what to think, what to eat, how to dress, who to be friends with. Three places, actually. Sorry, I said two. And that's, that's uh, the military, uh, school, and prison. Right. So when we treat people, when we treat children, uh, uh, you know, in these institutions, when we put them in cages, when we tell them what to do all day, it's no surprise that they rebel. You know, another another myth that we hear many parents say is, oh, my my teenager with her hormones, they're so rebellious. You know, that doesn't <laughs> exist in non-industrialized countries. It's a complete myth. That there is no such thing as, you know, crazy hormone teens. That, that's stupid. It's, uh, it's just like the sugar high. It does not exist in countries that are pre-industrialized. It's this myth that we've made up, again, to try and explain why kids behave the way they do. Well, is it any surprise that if you tell someone to do all day, they're going to rebel? Why? Because they lack in this psychological nutrient of autonomy. Again, online, they're free, right? When I play a game online, I'm, I'm the god of this world. I can do whatever I want. Right? I can hang out with my friends, I can build things, I can, I can go what I want, where I want, I can shoot people, I feel powerful, I feel in control. If you're l- lacking it in the real world, you get it in the virtual world. And then and finally- And relate too, increasingly in video games. It, exactly. it touches on that third factor too, relatedness. Relatedness, right? exactly. So social. So, exactly, so the, 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 the streets of this country used to sing with the sound of children playing, right? When I was growing up, we came home from, from school and we would play. We would just hang out. We would just do things with each other. But today, you don't see that anymore. And, and there's a few reasons. Number one, the media has scared the crap out of people that parents think, oh, stranger danger. My kid's going to get abducted. It's not safe for them to go play. And so the, even though this is the safest time in American history to be a kid, the, the media has scared everyone like crazy. And the second reason is that we overschedule for people who have the means to send their kids to extracurricular activities. They're in soccer practice and Mandarin lessons and swim lessons and ballet and test prep. There's no time anymore for kids to just be kids and play. So that sense of relatedness is gone. They don't have that time. You know, it's one thing if a parent, a teacher, a coach tells you what to do. It's a whole nother ball of wax when it's a peer, when your friend tells you, hey, if you act like that, I don't want to play with you anymore. That's how we learn our place in the world. And so that sense of relatedness is lacking in kids' lives. And again, if they're not getting it online, or offline, they're getting it online. So that's why they're on TikTok. That's why they're on Fortnite. That's why they're playing these games because that's where they're getting the sense of relatedness. So the first place to start is to ask ourselves, why are they missing these psychological nutrients and how can we replace those so that they're not looking for them in the online world? Yeah. Okay. So I've got, I've got a question in here. So, so I think one of the, as a parent, parent too, um, I think one of the potential obstacles, you know, I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, oh my God, so mastery, autonomy, relatedness, um, I can imagine a lot of people thinking like, yeah, you know, I would, I, I would like, so my kids are maybe missing some of that. I would like to kind of provide some of that. I want to help them have more mastery. I want to help them have more autonomy. But 
I also think it's it's really hard and time consuming as, as a busy parent to think, okay, I just got home from work. I'm exhausted. My kids are exhausted. Like, how are we going to like work on mastery and how are we going to work on autonomy? And, yeah. and so I, I wondered too, if there's this, this idea that we as parents have to provide these things as opposed to if we just kind of got out of the way, like maybe this is, maybe kids will sort of find their way into these things. So what if, what if here, here's my theory, Tim, what you think? What if part of the reason why we increasingly kind of overschedule our kids and never let them out, um, out of the house, out of our sight is because we falsely assume that we have to do the work of autonomy and mastery and, and relatedness. And of course, that's just impossible. Like there's, so we, we outsource it, right? That's to exactly right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head. It's It comes from us. It comes from us parents who we are thinking, oh, I got to get my kid into college. And if they don't test prep and if they don't have a resume and if they don't do this and that, then uh, he's, they're, they're not going to get into a good school. It's really our fault that there's one simple solution. It's actually not more work. It's less work. It's called <laughs> free play. Free play is when kids can just be kids without the direction of parents, coaches, and teachers. Just letting kids play, for God's sakes. <laughs> the problem is that parents don't take the time to give their kids free play, and so they rely upon this overscheduling, partially because of their own insecurities. It's, uh, you know, my I, I didn't get the chance to go to ballet, so I'm going to make sure my kid goes whether they like it or not. Uh, you know, the, being a good parent means you have to pay for someone to tell them what to do all day. BS, that's not true. Simply, it's very simple. All you got to do is find a few more parents who subscribe to this philosophy. It's called free range parenting. There's a great book on it as well by my friend Lenore. Uh, what we have to do is find these small communities, just a few more parents who schedule time for kids to play. What does that look like? Hey, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to come over to, to our house. Okay. Bring the kids over. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we go to your house. Great. <laughs> and that's it. And, <laughs> that's oh, it. and one thing that we have to do as well that we have to have no phone zones that, uh, it, and this is amazing. I definitely found this with my daughter. You know, people say, oh, you know, the kids, they, all they want to do is be on their devices all the time. Well, if you give them other options, right? Almost always they want the other options, right? So there's a trampoline park near where, where we live. My daughter, 10 out of 10 times would rather go to that trampoline park than uh, stare at her phone playing some video game. Of course, if there's nothing else to do, what did we expect? She's going to turn on the screen because there's nothing else to do. So by giving kids the, the time for free play, by getting together with maybe two or three other families that, you know, maybe friends of your kids, find these other people. By the way, they don't have to be exactly your kid's age. They can be a few years older or younger and let them hang out three, four, five hours a day. It's one of the best things you can do for their psychological well-being because play, free play, involves mastery, right? Building stuff, uh, autonomy, the ability to decide what they want to do. And of course, relatedness, playing with each other, getting along, getting through conflict without what we call these helicopter parents constantly meddling and saying, oh, don't do this, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to blah, blah, blah. No, let them free play. It's one of the best things you can do for them. I like there, there's a subtle distinction in here. I, I like the way you frame this up, which is that as parents, we can, when you say give your kids free play, it it's not that we're kind of dictating how they play specifically, right? It's that we we're setting the stage. We're saying here, you know, X, Y, and Z person are they're going to come over, and you got and then you guys can, we're not going to tell you what to play. We're not going to tell you. We're not going to be playing with you necessarily. We're we're kind of setting. It reminds me of one of my favorite um, kind of developmental psychologists is you might know her, Alison Gropnik, and she she wrote this book called The Gardener and the Carpenter um, mm -hmm. about how. Uh, 
as parents, our, our model for parenting is this. We've got this blueprint in our head of what our kids should be like. And then we, like a carpenter, we go and try and construct our kids mm. into this ideal vision of what we want, right? When in reality, she says a much better model for parenting is the gardener, right? Where you've got this little patch of ground, right? And you're hoping to kind of cultivate some seeds, which by the way, have the entirety of their genetic code already kind of locked up in there. Mm-hmm. And it's as the gardener, it's your job to keep the predators away, right? And make sure you get some some sunlight and water. But after that, like you kind of let it do its thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Absolutely. Having those resources, you know, having things for them to draw, having them, uh, things for them to construct, having, you know, the Legos around. I mean, there, there's no shortage. People have so many toys that kids never play with <laughs> around. And, you know, even something as simple as a cardboard box, you would be amazed how long kids can entertain themselves with, with simple things around the house. And by the way, it's also not terrible if they're playing together to allow them to play video games once in a while, now, I'm not saying all day, but an hour here or there of playing together a game, uh, even if it's a digital game, if it's on the screen, that's also fine too. Again, as long as as they have that option to to fulfill their three psychological nutrients. There's a great Dorothy Parker quote. She said, the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is a, a, a wonderful um, spark that that can light us up that when we find something we are curious about uh this this comes back to the concept of variable rewards that was popular that was studied by bf skinner back in the 1950s this idea of intermittent reinforcement that some kind of variability some kind of mystery causes us to engage and causes us to focus and it can help us enter this kind of zone uh, of of an activity. It's that beautiful feeling, uh, you know, uh, Mihao Csikszentmihalyi described it as flow. That when something is 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 uh, is uncertain, is variable, there's that mystery of can I do it? Can I achieve it? What's going to come next? It's at the core of what makes for great literature. It's what makes for great movies, great games, romance, sports. All of these things fundamentally, the reason they're engaging is because they are variable. They have mystery involved with them. So if we can harness that curiosity in ourselves as well as within our children, that is, uh, that, that, that's a golden opportunity. It's such a beautiful thing to see someone get curious about something and allow them the time and space to let them follow them, that curiosity. Not, not to rag on, on, uh, on uh, formal education, but again, part of the problem with formal education today, especially, uh, you know, at the younger ages, is that it's so rigid, right? That, that if a kid gets curious in something, uh, you know, I, I, my, my daughter, when she was in kindergarten, got super lit, about, lit up about ancient Egypt. But there was no time for that. We got to move on. We got to move on. There's 30 kids in the class. Come on, come on. We got to go to the next subject. And so that, in many ways, kids are desperate for that autonomy to explore a topic and and harness their creativity and uh, powered by their curiosity. And that's something we can really learn from. Uh, in the book, I talk about the work of Ian Bogost. He wrote a wonderful book called Play Anything. And uh, Bogost argues that play doesn't necessarily have to be fun. <laughs> so he kind of goes against very counterintuitive. He goes against this notion that in order to incentivize yourself or someone to do something, you have to take Mary Poppins advice and add a spoonful of sugar. That That's what we call an extrinsic motivator. And while that can be very effective for one-time behaviors, it's actually terrible for repeat behaviors or behaviors that uh, that need some kind of creativity. That studies have found when, that when people are incentivized to uh, do a task that requires some level of creativity, 
activity, draw a picture, for example, when kids were asked to draw a picture, the kids who were rewarded with some kind of extrinsic reward, as opposed to saying, hey, just, you know, draw for the love of it, draw whatever you want, it doesn't matter, uh, enjoy yourself. The kids who are are prompted to enjoy themselves as opposed to do this to get some kind of reward, those are the kids who are who actually do better. They 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 do more creative work. And of course, we see this in our jobs. Uh, when we are demanded to do something for pay, we put in the minimal amount of work that we can to get the money and not have to do the work. Uh, so so what 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 this tells us is that. Uh, that if we want to motivate ourselves to do something, we have to not just look at the extrinsic motivators, but the intrinsic motivators. And so Bogus talks about how that, that intrinsic motivation uh, can be found through play, not in the traditional sense of having it be fun per se, but all it needs to do is to engage our attention, focus our attention long enough to help us get through that task. So part of the problem... Um, with Csikszentmihalyi's uh, flow theory is at least my problem with it is that it's <laughs> it's nice if you can find it right. So Csikszentmihalyi talks about how surfers and basketball players they get into flow and they get into this zone uh, and it's wonderful, which which is great. But what happens if the activity is not fun, right? What happens if you're you need to do your taxes? I, I don't think anybody gets into flow when they're doing their taxes. It sucks. You'd rather be doing something else. Well, Bogost offers us this opportunity to bring play to that task. To And he says to do this by doing two things. Number one, adding constraints, adding some kind of constraint. How fast can I do this? How much time do I allow myself? Whatever the case might be, some kind of sandbox-like constraint. And two, adding variability. So to focus more deeply on the uncertainty, the mystery, learn more about it. Don't don't shy away from it to just get it done, but go deeper into it. And so that's, I think, a fantastic way to help us learn how to play anything so that we can stick to it long enough to, to finish it without getting distracted. I love I love that idea of um, mystery. That's I'd never really put that together, like how key an ingredient that is in all these things from from curiosity to play or, or, or even kind of flow. But it goes back to our, our sort of dilemma of as parents having sort of a, a deft touch, right? Because you, you need to provide those, like you said, the constraints, the sort of the foundation. But if you if you if you go at it too hard, you kill the mystery. Right. right. You, right. So it's it's it seems like it's less about um well, it, it, it's it's more about noticing kids' intrinsic motivations and interests, and almost sort of getting out of the way and providing the constraints that all <laughs> that, that that kind of keep us out of the way um, in in a strange way. Like, does I, 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 as we're talking, I'm thinking about my own my own kids and um, and yeah, how this would apply. But I just think it's so it, it, it's very hard. I remember before I was a, a a parent, one of the most important books I read was um, Growth Mindset. You know, Carol Dweck's Carol classic, yeah, fantastic, um, the, yeah. the, the, her book Mindset. But the thing actually that, that stood out to me most in that book was she has, she has a very small section where she talks about basically you can overdo it with praise mm. <laughs> as a parent, right? Like sometimes praising you know, your kid's coloring and you go and say, wow, honey, that's such a beautiful painting, right? What you're doing there is you're shifting it from intrinsic motivation to extrinsic, right? Now they're doing it because they want more praise that's right. from mom and dad, right? That's right. Back to, that's your, right. And we back see to this your point all the time. You're so smart. You're so pretty. You're so this, you're so that. It actually, I mean, according to the, the work of Carol Dweck, yeah, that it, it can actually backfire because p- the kids are doing it then for that praise, for that reward, not for the pleasure of the behavior itself. So sometimes the best thing you can do is to shut up. 
is to <laughs> let your kid play. It's amazing how many parents, so I work with a lot of parents uh, who tell me, oh, their kids are so distracted. You know, all they want to do is play video games all day. And then when I do home visits or I talk to these people, uh, it's amazing how much the parents are the source of distraction. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, honey, what's going on with the soccer practice? Honey, what's going on with your homework? Honey, you didn't finish your dinner. Hey, shut up. Leave your kid alone. <laughs> it's incredible. You know, like the, the kid is trying to do his homework or or even play a video game. If your kid is playing a video game, leave him alone. <laughs> right. Like let them do if they schedule the time. This is a big part of becoming indistractable is planning the time in your day. This is an essential skill. So step number one is mastering those internal triggers where we understand why we have these sources of discomfort. What are we missing, right? So I teach parents as well as, you know, individuals for yourself to, to, to know how to master these internal triggers. Of course, as parents, the best thing you can do for your kid is to model the behavior. You know, don't be a hypocrite and tell your kid, get off the, 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 your phone while you're checking email. You know, you, you have to, you have to walk the walk yourself. But then the second step is to make time for traction. Teaching kids that, look, an hour of playing video games, there's nothing wrong with that, but let's plan that time. Because part of the problem is that when kids don't know when that time is coming, they obsess about it. They ruminate about it. Am I going to get time? Uh, Joey wants to play with me a certain time, but he wants to know when. Am I going to have that time? You know, should I? Uh, it drives them crazy to not know when they can have the time to do the things they like, as it would drive any of us crazy. So sitting down with your kid and having a schedule and saying, okay, from this time to this time is school. This time to this time is is uh, your chores, etc. And hey, guess what? This If this is important to you, let's put gameplay on the schedule let's make sure we have that time if that's important to you let's let's make time for it but when you make that time for it leave them alone right let them do what they're (laughs) going to do uh so that you are not the distraction yourself yeah and and like you said that's it's it's so much about us right and kind of managing and not projecting our own stuff onto onto our kids yeah totally totally Uh, so so i've got one more kind of kind of oddball question for you 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 you, uh, sort of in in a small part of the book, you, you mentioned um, family mealtime mm. and, and kind of the, the association that kind of consistent family mealtime has, has to do with sort of well-being and, and both in the part of the kids and, and the family as a whole. And this is something I, you know, I, I've, I've heard for a long time, and I think it's pretty clear um, in the data that it, it, scheduling family meals is perhaps, the, you've said it's, it's one of the most important things parents and kids can do together. So m- my question for you as someone who's been in this research probably more than me is, is, is Mealtime together between families is is that a leading or a lagging indicator of well being? Like what what's going on there? Like is that is that actually predictive of well? So if you start scheduling more family meals together, like measures of well being and, and connectedness and whatever are going to improve, or is it more the effect of you're doing other stuff? If you do other stuff right, this tends to be the result and shows you that you're kind of on the right track. Like how how do you think about that that relationship? Yeah. I think what we see is when we prioritize time with our family, and this is this is common sense. We don't need a study to tell us this. When we prioritize time with our family and follow through, I think that's the important characteristic is that kids need a model of what it means to do what you say you're going to do. One of the most important things that kids need from parents is a sense of security. They need to know that you're going to be there when you say you will. So I think whether it's a mealtime, whether it's a, a, a time once a week that you're going to spend with your kid to, to play or to do whatever it is that you schedule, following through on whatever it is you said you're going to do is, is I think, what makes the, those times special without getting distracted, Right. So I think part of what makes mealtime special is that it, it should be a no phone zone. So we have that rule in our household that there are certain 
no phone zones where where are, you know I'm not anti tech clearly, but there's some areas where the, the tech doesn't belong because we want to be fully present. So uh, the the meal table is one of those areas. Uh, her room, by the way is also, I don't see why a child needs a television set in their room, <laughs> right? Like anything that it, that might uh, disturb sleep uh, or homework doesn't need to be in their room, right? If they want to, if she wants to watch TV, she's welcome to in the family room. If she wants to play a game or, you know, use the iPad, that's fine, but do it in the right space. So I think what what makes the, those type of family engagements so beneficial to, to children is that they know they have your undivided attention. And that's why scheduling that time is so important. So having that, I think mealtime does this because we know, okay, we have meals three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. We have that time booked in our calendar and knowing that, okay, mommy or daddy and or daddy are going to be there at the table when they say they would. And I can talk to them. I can, um, I can ask them questions. I can share things about my life. Knowing that they'll be there without having their, their, their face stuck into a screen is what makes that time so special and beneficial. Yeah, I almost wonder too if it's a kind of forcing function for parents where if your tendency is to schedule more and do more and always have these activities and soccer practice and tutoring and all, if you really commit to you know, literally every single weekday, like we are going to have dinner together from you know 5.30 to, to 6.30, it, it forces you to resist the temptation to pack more and more activities right. in if that's is that yeah i mean this is one of the practices that i talk about in the book that's been verified in study after study i mean literally thousands of studies have found uh it's called setting an implementation intention that this is one of the most effective techniques we can use to follow through on what we say we're going to do in all areas of our life is simply planning out when you're going to do it and uh what well, sorry what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. it's so simple and so few people do it. So few people run their lives by the seat of their pants they, because they want to be spontaneous or because they're too lazy to plan the time. But here's the thing. If you don't decide in advance what you want to do with your time, everything is a distraction. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. This is so important. I'll say it again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have big white space in your day, Everything is a distraction because you didn't plan what you want to do with your time. So if you don't plan your time, somebody's going to plan it for you. The media, your boss, your kids, somebody's going to tell you what to do with your time unless you decide in advance how you're going to spend your time according to your schedule and your values. Yeah, including scheduling white space, right? (laughs) White space itself is not the problem. It's that if it's not scheduled. Exactly. Oh, if you want to take time for prayer, meditation, taking a walk, painting, sitting and staring at the ceiling. That's great. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your time. It has to be according to your values. What I'm saying is if you're not doing those things, right? If you get to the end of the day and you say, oh, I didn't have any time for exercise or I didn't have time to read or I didn't have time to with my kids. If you're not getting that time and you want that time, you have to plan it. Yeah, that's so great. You, I've never seen anyone phrase it exactly like this, but you sort of talk about the idea of you know, self-care, I think, is something all of us adults and parents kind of know, like, yeah, we need to take a little more time to whether it's working out or meditating or whatever it is to kind of keep our uh, batteries charged. But it's like, ah, I never have time for this. It, but you kind of introduced the idea of time boxing time for yourself. Can you talk real quick? Like, yeah, what is time boxing? And like, how does that apply to how could that apply to self-care for, for us parents and adults? Sure. So I talk about these three life domains in the book, Indistractable, of you. You are at the center of these three life domains. Then you have your relationships, and then you have your work. 
So we have to plan these three uh, life domains in our calendar. So what I, I advise people to do is to first start with you. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. You can't do your best at work. You can't make an impact on the world. You have to start with yourself. So ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? And start with tomorrow. Ask yourself, you know, whatever is important to you to do. Uh, do you have time for prayer, meditation, reading, learning, exercise, whatever it is that's important to you? Video games. You want to play a video game? Great. Put time in your calendar to take care of the things that you want to do for yourself. That's the first step. Then your relationships, right? How many of us are suffering through this loneliness epidemic? You know, psychologists tell us that loneliness is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. Part of the reason we have this loneliness epidemic is because we don't make time for our relationships like we used to, that we've seen this precipitous decline in the amount of re repeating social engagements. Uh, this isn't new. Uh, Robert Putnam talked about this in the 1990s in his book, Bowling Alone, that he found that, that there was this precipitous decline in the amount of time people were spending in the bowling league or the Kiwanis club or the church group. Uh, as society became more secular, there weren't those religious, typically religious events that help people organize around seeing other people in their community. Well, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying you have to go join a religious organization, you, but you do need to bring that time back, right? Time with your friends, time with your family. Don't give them whatever scraps of time are left over. If it's important to you, and it should be important to everyone to have social engagement regularly built into their schedule, Put it in your calendar, right? Like have time. Every Thursday night, we're going to go see grandma. Every Tuesday, I'm calling my brother. Uh, every Wednesday, I'm spending time with my kid. Whatever it is, put it on your calendar because you know what's going to happen if you don't. It's going to it's gonna be spent watching Netflix or scrolling Facebook or something. The next uh, life domain is work. That this is, this is where most people start, but I actually think it's the last domain to worry about, which is where work is divided into two uh, types of work. We have reactive work and reflective work. Reactive work is the time spent reacting to different things, right? Reacting to meetings, reacting to emails, reacting to notifications. And this is how most people spend their time. It's a hallmark of low performers, people who are constantly running around all day reacting to stuff, being told what to do. And many people like that state. They don't say they like it, but they, they do because it basically they feel comfortable being told what to do all day because thinking is hard work. Most people don't like to think. So reflective time is the only time we have to think, uh, to plan, to strategize, to be creative. All these things require us to do these things without distraction. So we have to have at least some time in our day, maybe it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, I don't care, some time in your day to think. If you don't have that time, I guarantee you're running real fast in the wrong direction. So that's why we, we, we start with these three life domains and we put this time in our calendars. We actually book up every minute of our day and people say, oh, that's so restrictive. I want to be spontaneous. I don't know. I don't like it. This is no longer a luxury, okay? The time of being spontaneous is when you're a kid and when you retire. In your adult years, part of being an adult, if you're not doing what you want to do with your time, if you're perfectly content, you say, hey, I read all the books I want to read. I have all the time with my kids that I want. I'm perfectly happy with how I spend my time. You don't need to listen to me. But if you say there's things I want in my life that I'm not accomplishing, you've got to book your time or you're not going to be indistractable. Beautiful. Well said. Nira, this is, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's always fun kind of reading your stuff and, and I've been, I've been listening to you a lot on podcasts. So it's real, um, it's a real honor to, to get you on my podcast finally. Oh, um, my pleasure. Thank you. 
so where can people go to learn more about you and your work? I, kn- I know I will, I will plug for you. You're, we've talked about your book, Indistractable, which is, which is excellent and a, a good kind of, this has been a diving in point to, to a lot of the topics you talk about in there. But your newsletter is also fantastic too. Nice. You send out a newsletter every Saturday morning, I think. Um, right. And it's just awesome. So I, I would really encourage um, all you guys listening to, to check that out. So, but where's a good place for people to go just to learn more about you in general? Sure. So my website is nearandfar.com and that's where you can subscribe to the newsletter. It's spelled like my first name, N-I-R. So that's N-I-R and far.com. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show and we'll see you next time.